Attention, attention please, stand by for another episode of When Humanists Attack. Good evening, this is Chris West West the Pontificator with When Humanists Attack. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit religious organization founded in the great Northern Republic of Vermont. And tonight we are going to be interviewing David Oliverio, also known as the Preaching Humanist. Uh, welcome, David, to When Humanists Attack. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. I'm so pleased that you were able to take time to come and visit and, and share your story with us. I first ran into you as a kind of an offshoot of my uh, personal passion listening to atheist broadcasts from the ACA. And mm -hmm. I got into podcasts because I was working at a place where I couldn't watch the video. And I was like, oh, okay, here's another ACA production. Let me check mm -hmm. it out. And I remember it was the, the Ten Commitments. You were going over the, the, the basic Ten Commitments of the secular human, humanist movement, which is uh, first written down in the manifesto, right? They call their, the, the American humanist calls their thing a manifesto. And manifesto yes. came up with these Ten Bits. And I loved how, how, first of all, how concise they were, right? I can mm -hmm. listen to them really quickly and get a really good understanding of what that particular set of ideas is. And tell us the history of David Oliverio and how you got to this place. Well, back in the mid-1950s, I was born into, I guess what you call it, baptized into a very Pentecostal fundamentalist uh, Bible-thumping environment. This was up in Detroit, Michigan up where closer to your neck of the woods. And uh, my father was a minister in training. Uh, they were, we were part of a mega church in Detroit. There were mega churches back in the 60s as well. He was sent out from, from the Detroit church in 1969. I was about 11 or 12 years old. They sent him to Waco, Texas. I call it Waco, Texas, right? <laughs> uh, where there are more uh, Christians than people. And uh, so he took a small church there. Uh, so I was really, I didn't know anything else in my life, uh, Chris, other than the Bible, the Holy Spirit, serving Jesus, going to church two, three, four times a week. Uh, so I was born into this anti-intellectual, anti-reason, anti-science environment. My father mocked uh, the liberals from the Northeast uh, Portland, Seattle folks, California, anybody outside of the bubble of Pentecostal Christianity, everything else was wrong. Everyone else was going to hell. Uh, so I was in that environment. Um, so went through my teenage years, went through a few preacher re kid rebellious years by age 19. That's a thing, right? The preacher kid rebellion is a trope. It happens often, um, and it's a very common thing. A lot of my friends, my buddies at the time, who became preachers as well, most of us went through that same thing. We're fighting for freedom, for autonomy, trying to get away from the two alpha male fathers we had. One, the fictitious one we thought existed, right? That alpha male controlling father, and the uh, biological father who in that environment was very alpha male and controlling. Uh, by 1976, 17, how old was I then? 19 years old. I heard the 
call to preach, right? I came back to God. So I started preaching at age 19. I worked for my father full-time for a few years as the staff evangelist, minister of music, and minister of uh, uh, youth. So I was a busy young guy. I preached at nursing homes for older people. I preached on Sunday nights at my dad's church. Did traveling, started going to different churches in small towns, Texas, all around the country. Uh, educating believers on how to win souls for Jesus Christ. So I was this firebrand, stealing from David uh, Silverman, firebrand. But I was a firebrand Christian young preacher. And I was consumed with winning souls for Jesus. I thought everyone was going to hell. I wanted to reach them for the Lord. I had a split with my father, uh, along with my older brother and I. We both kind of had one of those family splits. Wasn't a good deal, but it happens. I started my own thing, did my own traveling, started two churches of my own in Waco in the 80s, helped plant two other churches. Uh, and then I couldn't believe it anymore. It's a long, long story. But by 1990, 1989, I couldn't do it anymore. And I started my evolution from this evangelical Christianity to a more liberal Christianity. In fact, the second church I started was more of a liberal progressive type church. You know, the cherry pickers, right? right? Taking the good sweet stuff in the Bible. Anyway, by 1990, couldn't do it anymore. Uh, and we moved, uh, gave up the church. And I started a long, long journey, which has been, uh, what, 31 years now, into secular humanism, atheism. And I had to retrain and reprogram my brain, Chris. I never got a college education. Didn't know anything about Charles Darwin. I thought he was Satan's progeny. So if you know my background, it was pure anti-science. Hmm. So I just started going to libraries and reading books, and uh, the rest is history. And I'm still like a, a little kid in a candy store with books. I just read, trying to make up for all the lost time for the first half of my life. I never got an education. Yeah. So it's been a wonderful journey. And I found out, Chris, that this world on the other side of the fence, which I call the non-believing world, we have lush green grass over here. We have so much to offer. It's not this dry, thirsty, barren land we used to preach. You know, like people in atheism or agnosticism or humanism have no hope, have no love, have no happiness. And these simple uh, things that we have as human beings, as social animals, are in us all. And so I started talking about that uh, to believers more and more. And about 10 years ago, or 12 years ago, I started going into churches, talking to people, interviewing people, talking to pastors, going out with signs, feeding homeless people. And I've been doing it ever since. So I'm really just the same person I was back in the 70s and 80s with the same passion to help people, to want to encourage people to promote, promote something that I thought back then would really help society. Now we know that secular societies are much healthier and happier. Yeah. So I do promote secular humanism. So this is a dramatic departure from, from a Christian preacher to a secular humanist. Is there a thing? What was It's, it's such a dramatic change that yes. it seems like it had to have a dramatic moment. And I just noticed also, by the way, that your transition 
mirrored the transition of communist countries away from communists. Like 1989 is your the beginning of your journey. So is there something that you can point to that's, that was really decisive in moving you away from that belief? It really wasn't quite a tipping point for me. Uh, it was a slow, gradual process. I remember teaching in one of my dad's classes, newcomer classes, when I was his staff evangelist. And I was teaching on the Old Testament uh, takeover and conquest of Canaan, right? Go across the river and kill every man, woman, and child, keep the sex slaves, all that stuff. Uh, the women for sex slaves. Yep. And uh, I had a gentleman in the class raise his hand and say, and ask me, David, um, I don't understand. That just does not sound moral to me. That's just very harsh. That type of thing. So these questions that people would confront me with, I didn't have answers for. But honestly, Chris, they stuck in my head. They, they went in there, and I think it planted a little bit of seed. But I think by the time the late 80s, the mid-80s, and late 80s came around, when I started really doubting, was when I had our children. Uh, they were born in 84 and 86. And I was married, and all of a sudden, I started experiencing these real-life issues and trials that I thought that the Lord would take care of, right? Because God provides all your needs. I would preach the provisions of God, and I noticed that the more praying I did, the more people I laid hands on to be recovered, the more I prayed that God would deliver me from poverty, people would give me money, and uh, money would drop down from heaven, all this crazy stuff we used to believe. None of that really occurred. So I started doubting, and I was thinking, wait a minute, the Bible clearly says this, but it's not happening. So I started this thing called critical thinking and skepticism. I didn't know a thing about it. So there really was not this one-time tipping point. It was a gradual thing. Uh, more and more issues occurred. Couldn't find answers. I became more and more depressed. I had marital problems. Uh, things were just not working as promised in the Bible. So I justified it and said, you know what? I must be like Job, right? God's testing me, that type of thing. But something inside of this little old brain of mine kept saying, no, this does not make sense. Now, keep in mind, I didn't know anything about critical thinking, skepticism, science, philosophy, never knew anything about it. So maybe I was a little fortunate that I had some kind of preconditioned uh, thinking there, maybe it was from uh, a couple generations ago, some of my ancestors. I don't know where it came from, my gene pool. By 1990, I kept slowly changing. And by then, it was just this slow process. Yeah. So it took a couple years. My experience after listening to a number of people talk about their own journey away from from their belief is it, it often isn't a single aha moment. It's almost always chinks in the armor that over time yeah. lead to a dissolution uh, and that leads to inquiry. And, and of course, on top of all of this, you are in the process of pushing away from us a, a support group and a community that has supported you this whole time. Yeah. So that's also something that's really hard to do at the drop of a, a hat. And it's something you have to condition yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can see. Yeah, I mean, I lost, I lost my friends, my uh, community, everybody. There is a price to pay sometimes when you make this decision, especially as an activist, right? Especially doing something uh, the way, what we do, 
but my father, who was a retired pastor, uh, disowned me two and a half, three years ago, totally. Uh, so that happens. That can occur when you when you make a choice and you follow reason over over faith. You're in Austin. Austin is known as the atheist capital of America because of the ACA and the the prolific and uh, amazing programming that they put together. How did you end up interacting with the ACA? What was that story? I moved from Waco after my youngest child went to college. Uh, so that was. 2005, I was an atheist since 1990, but those 15 years I had to remain closeted in our little rural community because my children, you have kids, you remember when they were in high school, uh, couldn't come out as an atheist. It would uh, damage their social uh, uh, net there and their, their community of friends in yeah. that little town. So I remained closeted. But as soon as my youngest son went to off to college, I said, adios, <laughs> I'm headed to Austin. I didn't know anything about the atheist community of Austin, but I always liked Austin because it was the blue dot of Texas. Yeah. I could be myself there, right, and be an atheist. But I'd never been around other non-believers or free thinkers, ever. The 15 years there in this small community, a conservative religious community in Waco. And I went and found an ad <clears throat> online somewhere about a meetup from a community called the Atheist Community of Austin, right? And they were having this large picnic or potluck, whatever. And I went, and it's the first time I'd ever been around fellow atheists, right? And I could be myself. It was a beautiful experience for me after 15 years of being a Christian. It's been a long time. First time I've been around atheists. And I'm sitting back there, and I'm Italian, Chris. I get a little emotional, right? Hey, I get emotional. And I get all teary-eyed, and I'm looking at these people, and I see them loving each other. I see them holding their children, having relationships with people, happy, moral, just like the church people. And this was such a simple concept for people that are secular. But for me at the time, I couldn't believe it. I did not know that this is what I was into. I thought this was beautiful, you know? That's when I first learned about ACA. So I connected with them. Well, I started going to some of the meetups and meeting people then. Uh, and then I started traveling uh, to different groups. I met some other groups from different cities and the other communities here in Austin as well. Yeah. Right. That brings me to an interesting question because I remember during our, our chat before we set up the interview that you were talking about something called Oasis Networks. Yeah. Um, and, and that brings me to the whole topic of, as the, the preaching humanist um, and having been uh, active in probably one of the most active humanist developments in the country, right? The ACA and that, that whole environment. What's your take on where we're at as a humanist society or as humanists within society, secular humanists? And, and where do you think we should go? What do, you, what do you think is the right right development? Honestly, I think the secular humanist community has some things that we need to move into. Uh, I think we need to start promoting our message. We do have a message. Uh, I think we need to attempt to build communities, 
kind of resemble what we came out of many of us, especially down here in the South. I think that we need people to take leadership roles. And I know that I get pushback on this, Chris, because many people immediately have three major fears. Number one, it's dogma. We don't want to get into dogma. Number two, they don't really think we have a message. We want personal autonomy, the autonomy of ethics, uh, individual autonomy, all the messages that we, I agree with. They're beautiful. We're also afraid of authoritarianism. We're on that, Chris, honestly, uh, as I identify as a very strong atheist, but as my sign says, you know, this is what I do on the weekends, right? I identify uh, with more secular humanism than anything else because it really is a progressive philosophy. It's what we believe in. It's what gives us, we can find meaning and love and passion in life and experiences with other people, shared values, morals, ethics, everything, very similar to Christianity. Now, a lot of atheists don't like me saying that, but it's really true because they are trying to do good. I tried to do good as a young preacher. We tried to reach communities. We fed homeless people. We did all the stuff that we thought would help society. I think that if we want to grow, we need to look past just arguing and debating all the time, which is good. We have the greatest. I just talked about this to the Cleveland people last Sunday. We have the greatest debaters, philosophical debaters, uh, street epistemology people in the world here in Texas, in the atheist movement. And I'm just honored to even know these people. I can't even watch them because I get intimidated because they're so (laughs) good. But that's not really my strength. I'm glad they do that. And it's very important that they keep doing that. But I think we need to move and add something to that, which is, it's time to promote and not be afraid of authoritarianism, dogma, and give it our message. Otherwise, we're just going to remain as these little secular social clubs. I say that carefully. Secular social clubs are all around, little humanist communities. I know a lot of them. They're awesome people. We need these communities. We need to find people of like mind to do things together. I'm all about that. But we need to also take get a little fire in our britches like I used to do as a Pentecostal preacher. We need a little more passion. Now, true, we don't have the motivation of heaven to please God. We don't have any of that as atheists and agnostics. But we have something so valuable in humanism. And I talk about the progressive values of humanism, the freedom, the equality, the consequentialist ethical system, and the altruism, all the stuff that I know you do as well. Yeah. So we got a message. We just need to get out there and do it and not worry about being too Christian-like or too much like church because I do not fill the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. I keep that sweet baby, which works, which I used to do, and throw the, all the dirty bathwater out because there's a lot of dirt, dirty bathwater in there. Yeah. Right? You spoke for a moment about angry atheists, and this is this is a, a certain real trope in, in our community. Uh, and one of the things that the angry atheists don't get is that the Christians have got the community thing down. They understand yep. people are social animals. They need to hang out. We need to be able to celebrate these, these rites of passage together. In this moment, we need to create communities that see doing filling those holes as not just something that christians do i 
I almost said amen. I mean, that is I'll give you a, double, a double thumbs up. I mean, that's my passion. We also need proper leadership. We need leadership that have passion, vision. It would help for people that have been there and done that. Now, when I started that first church back in 1983, I mean, I would pack them out, not because of me, because people love that stuff like you're talking about. We had happy music. Right. We sang to Jesus. People came Sunday mornings because they were going to meet their brothers and sisters in Christ. They find their, their friends there, their community, uh, a feeling of belonging and identity. Right. Yeah. They hear a good, positive message. Not all churches do that, but a lot of the good ones, the smart ones, give optimistic messages. Right. Yeah. And we lack that. We don't have that. We have PowerPoints, which is good. We have science, which is all good. We have philosophy, but let's add something to that. Let's get the full human experience of emotions, the arts, literature, poetry, uh, uh, music, having fun together, a little hedonism too, right? <laughs> but within these communities, especially down here in the South, yeah. people relate to this. I meet people out there every weekend holding up my signs that used to be a Christian, they now identify as an atheist. You can see my passion here, Chris. Yeah, the fire and, in the belly. That's why we're talking, David. Oh man! Uh, and they come to me every weekend, and they say, "I can no longer believe in God, but I don't know what what to do now." Right. I, I don't know where to go. So I pass out, as you know, my cards with all the Austin secular communities, all five of them, and I, I promote them all. They're all good. They're just a little different flavor. We need that unity in the community. Their websites. Just think of me as an old evangelist like they used to be, right? And then I have the national secular groups on the other side of the car. All the great organizations we've all learned to love, American Humanist, American Atheist, Freedom from Religion, RFR, all of them, right? yep. Foundation Beyond Belief. Yep. And then people don't know what this is. What is humanism? I even got one of my definitions, but you got all these different great uh, descriptions of humanism. People don't know. Even atheists come up to me and go, what does this mean? What is this? You know. So there's a harvest field out there. And what I used to preach as a Christian, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Yeah. I feel the same way now. They're out there everywhere. They've already fallen from the Christian tree. You Science, reason, education, they can't believe it anymore. They become non-religious. But a lot of those people don't become atheists. We know that. They gravitate towards some new age spiritualism or some other irrational belief. Yeah. So we got to get them into some rational, science-based, humanist communities where we can do what a lot of the megachurches do. And I'm telling you, I go in those places and I talk to them. I, I think that's the, the awesomest thing in the world, that you actually go into churches as a secular humanist and talk to people. I interview people. And you know why they're there, most of them? My friends, we have a coffee shop, we have breakfast burritos, the music, <laughs> community, everything. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. reasons that we get together as people anyway. But on it's the secular you. side, there are no nodes for getting together for that reason, right? The, the secular nodes have always been, uh, let's go out and have a good time, or uh, let's go to a, a museum. It, it's It's... There, there's a transition point at which we will, where we will get to at some point, 
where most of us are secular, like in Estonia, where 65% of the people identify as non-religious. And that's an interesting culture, right? Wow. Uh, that you have, you have places where uh, in the Netherlands, which uh, I spent 10 years in, which in general is very secular, um, and more importantly, does not want to hear about religion in government. That's not okay. As a religious person, you can hold office and you can even say, here, I'm, I'm a member of a religious political party. And you can even say, I think it's important that in the platform we do these things. And the reason I want to do those things come from my religion. But you cannot start spouting uh, anti-scientific stuff. It's not acceptable in those societies anymore. Yeah. So I, I agree completely. What is this Oasis Network you, you okay. spoke to me about? Oasis is a secular network of about 13 or 14 chapters nationwide right now. A former Christian preacher started it, who's an atheist. This guy who started it knew how that works, taking that same system for non-believers. Uh, they started probably 9, 10, 11 years ago. And it's grown. Uh, the Houston group grew up to maybe 200 people on Sundays. So they meet Sunday mornings, very similar to a church, without the Bible, without the God stuff and the dogma. They have music. They used to pass an offering plate. Now it's all online, you know, right. donation, PayPal and all. And they have guest singers come in. They have a talk. I've been there many times. I'm one of their regular speakers. A 20 to 30 minute secular talk or secular sermon, secular motivational speaker. And then they have a time together, go out to eat. And then through the week, they have all the different activities, altruism, feeding homeless people, just like a church, which seems to work. Yeah. It's not for everybody, though. Yeah. A lot of atheists don't need it. I have atheists come up to me all the time. I don't need it. I say, okay. They say, I have my friends. I don't need something that resembles church. Some of them are angry atheists. Some are not. Some are saying they just want, don't need it. I said, that's, that's cool. You don't have to have that. But some people miss the good part of church. <laughs> the good part of church. That's the what I, the community. I like to think I coined that. But I yeah. There was a, an action you did two weeks ago or three weeks ago where you went to a, a Christian um, concert. You're evangelizing, right? You're out there with the message and you have uh, a, a, this, you, you got a great energy. You're just, you, I don't think anyone could ever see you as threatening. Uh, so uh, the way that you can come at this and the videos of you walking up to a group of, of uh, you know, young Christians who went to listen to Christian music yeah. and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a secular humanist. Uh, yeah. Do you know what that is? And out of 15 people who were standing there in the end, you, you were speaking to one woman for a longer period yeah. of time. But that's a win. When I do go out, it's really not about deconverting. It's really not. Honestly, my, if you listen to my episodes on the Preaching Humanists, it's mainly about, number one, just normalizing atheism because most people out there have no idea. So when I stand out there, I'm not trying to change people's minds, right. but those that want to argue and debate, you know what I do? I give them atheist experience cards. <laughs> so go talk to the experts. They're awesome. They'll, they're nice. They'll let you prove there's a God. Good luck with that, you know? <laughs> but I basically do something different, and that's just get out there putting a face on that which is being demonized. Yeah. Online is good, behind a camera is good, but there's nothing like good old school where the rubber meets the road, 
face-to-face interactions. So when I'm out there holding up my signs on Lady Bird Lake in downtown Austin and people come by, they're actually seeing an atheist in person. They come by and I smile and you say, good morning and talk to them. And they ask me what I'm doing out here. I just say, I'm actually out here just informing people that once we're religious who miss the good part of church, we have communities and we have something called secular humanism to replace theistic religion. So I'm really not out there to deconvert, though I do get a few angry Christians that come out, yell at me, all that stuff. I just tell them, be nice, you know, like Jesus. (laughs) And to find political allies and friends on the religious left, honestly. Even though we have disagreements, progressive Christians will approach me and say, I have no issue with you being an atheist. I know you can be good without God. I agree with you about church-state separation. I agree with you about promoting science and reason. These are all the signs I hold up. And these people are 98% humanists. They just don't know it. They're just holding on to this God belief by the skin of their teeth. So I don't try to change them. They're already right there. They vote like us. They have freedom and equality for everybody. They've even rescued me from angry evangelical Christians before. Literally. Yeah, I can see that. They've helped me. So that's not my main job. But to answer your question about the group of the Christian concert, I took a break from my activism one Saturday and I ran across, I stumbled across this big gathering of people. And yeah, it was a Christian concert Uh, the preliminary part of it. They're just about to get started. So I thought, what the heck? So I walked right up to the table and I said, hey, everybody, what's going on here? This is how I talk to people. Yeah. Diplomatic humanism, amiable diplomatic humanism, because they expect you to be these angry, nihilistic, bitter atheists. And they're blown away when you're not like that. Right. And I say, uh, what did I say to them? Uh, I said, oh, I'm just out walking by and I'm curious to see what you're doing. And they said, well, we're out here to worship the rock. I said, I knew what he meant. Yeah. Petrus. I said, you mean like a rock culture? They said, no, <laughs> Jesus, the rock. And I said, actually, guys, I had about four or five of them there. I said, actually, I'm an atheist, friendly neighborhood atheist. <laughs> and they just gave me the look like they all do this. whoa (laughs) those words do not fit in a sentence what are you doing (laughs) yeah yeah and i said i'm not out here to yell and scream at you i'm just curious what you're doing out here be safe wear your masks don't hug people but none of them were wearing masks yeah so that's when i decided to keep my distance and walk off (laughs) i have christian clients as a personal trainer that even voted for donald trump and you would think immediately they must be horrible people the ones I know are wonderful people. They're just wrong in that area. Yeah. They're not all these evil people. They yeah. really aren't. No. I try to just put a face on it and normalize it. And so what you're educate. doing, pretty straightforward, is you're modeling uh, a behavior for people who have been told that people who don't believe like they do are dangerous. Um, yes. And, and that is amazing work in and of itself. Modeling is an important part of any de- you know, deprogramming. Being a Jew, my mother went to Kansas in the 1950s to meet her to-be in-laws, and they literally asked her where her horns were. Wow. Yeah. And my mom was a secular Jew. She didn't believe in any kind of God or anything. Uh, but um, the 
the fact that people can with an honest face look at you and say something like that means they've they've just never been approached by person who challenged any of these these assumptions they've been told without any evidence right absolutely yeah, yeah i just think that's the best way to approach it that's just for me yep. because we also need the people over there that are really good at challenging them and debating too right absolutely uh, yeah I mean, it's it's both good i just see it as a secular wheel like it like a wheel with spokes right uh we have a lot of spokes in our wheel for debate street epistemology science philosophy all the great things that we need right yeah. we're found grounded and rooted in science but we i don't see a lot of spokes in, on this side of the wheel it's a little bit imbalanced so i'm just right trying now. to bring a little balance to it yeah and support each other work yeah. together i think very important so one of the things that we do as, as When Humanists Attack, we're trying to develop this in, in a way that gets across from the insides of our brain to the outside of the world, is that we're kind of tricksters. We're kind of interested in, in using humor to highlight uh, the, the things that are right and wrong with society. And when we were first interacting with the Ten Commitments of Humanism, one of our cohorts, uh, Vincent, um, said, well, they're missing a couple. This is also serious. I mean, oh my gosh, you want to talk about, um, when I think about something like the Unitarians, I don't think like colorful and interesting. I think, oh gosh, it's going to be a boring afternoon. One of the things that we've always been a big uh, supporter of um, with the, what we're doing now, but also with organizations that we've started in the past is that humor needs to be a part of it. We've got to be able to use ridicule, sarcasm to make fun of, uh, of humanity, uh, ourselves and the people around us in a way that, that is, is uh, instructive, right? We want to point yeah. things out with our humor. So one of the things that we did is we said, well, there are 10 commitments and those are good ones, but we say there are two missing. One of them is humor, and the other one is communication skills. Like we, we really need to learn these communication skills. Most people who are good at it learn like you did when you were learning to be a preacher. No one sat you down and said, this is how you connect with people. Now you, you watched your dad do it. You, you learned it yourself. You honed your skill during that practice. But these are skills. These are, these are things that people can learn. So we're expanding it. We might go to 13 because who, who, can, who can have an argument with the number 13? It's a, 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 a sacred and holy number. <laughs> no, it's got to be a holy number. Seven? Let's see, what the All the Seven, numerology. Six, yeah. nine. Um, in the end, I love uh, looking at different cultures and seeing what holy numbers are for them because in China, eight is the holy number and six is the bad number. So when cell phones started coming out, you would sometimes see people paying a million dollars to get a phone number that was 888-8888. And they were like trying to get away from the 666-6666. These cultures all have different points of view about it. And what was it? I remember very clearly listening. I think it was, was Christopher Hitchens who was saying, I think that religious education should be mandatory in all public schools. Just teach about all of them. It's the best way to make atheists that rapier wit that Chris Hitchens had that I'm, I'm never going to get anywhere near because I don't have that, that brain is, is something that oftentimes is missing in that whole debate, in that whole 
you know, I'm going to hang up on you kind of thing, the angry atheists. Now, I'm angry, but I'm not angry the whole time. I'm angry about certain particular things. And we Gener should be. Yeah, yeah. I'm certainly. Um, mostly mostly the, the injustice, the, the lack of scientific reality. I, I have great debates with my relatives who I'm still in touch with, who are very, very deep believers in, in what you grew up in. I had the fortunacy to grow up in a secular family, so I never had to disbelieve it. Uh, I did go through my own journey. I did believe in God. I did go through, uh, with my parents' blessing, God blessed them that they thought it was okay for me to go out and find my own path and, and to, to wow. decide what was good or not good. And when I said, I'm going to go to church, they're like, okay. <laughs> wow. dude. So I had a very privileged place. I don't have anything to recover from, but at the same time, I do think that as a secular humanist, we need to be out there. We need to be building these communities and we need to start really moving forward on reclaiming that space. And I think you're just a, a primary example of the way to do it right. You were spared the hardcore indoctrination. Yep. So you didn't have to go through that very arduous, painful journey that, uh, I mean, oh my gosh, I run into people all the time out there that, that have been uh, divorced, they lost their children, the whole family's over over it. So that's another argument for these communities is to house the hurt, the wounded. Yeah. Sounds like Jesus. Yeah. But that was a good part of the Bible. And by the way, when I talk about this stuff from the Bible, these are all humanist principles, as you know, all predated Christianity. Believers don't understand this. Yeah. You know, and I tell them, hey, we have things in common, the golden rule. And they go, yeah, you got that from the Bible. Yeah. And I have to explain to them, you know, there are many versions of that predating Christianity. It's just humanism from humanity, not from that. So there, there I, was a, a great quote that I'm, I'm reading uh, Bertrand Russell's history of uh, Western philosophy. And there's this great quote in it. There was a group called the atomists who were these people who believed that, uh, that the world was made up of these discrete particles called atoms and that there were no gods. And here we are in uh, 495 BC and mm -hmm. uh, the city of Athens passes a law making these people illegal and banishing them. And mm -hmm. then Bertrand Russell writes, and that was the end of the secular movement until the Renaissance. <laughs> That's like a thousand years if Athens hadn't kicked the, the atomists out and they would have been able to flourish. We might have had the scientific method as we had it in the 1600s, you know, 200 years before Christ. Um, Absolutely. This was just a, we're not going to let you say there are no gods. God. <laughs> so the rest we of it's so out close, the window. So yeah, we were so All close. All the wasted years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the wasted brains. Imagine a Thomas Aquinas wrapping his head around something other than how many angels are on the end of a pin. What's the pain that someone has to go through to persecute another person, thinking that they're doing what their God believes, and then maybe realizing that they're wrong? Yeah. Well, it depends on if they take the scripture literally. Uh, like, scary thing is, some people still do, right? Oh, a lot. But the good news is, the good news is a lot of these believers are on their journey and they're throwing out the concept of hell. I talk to these people, uh, my own children, I don't think they're watching. I love my kids. They're in their mid-30s. They're still very Christian. 
my son thought about being a minister, but he's changed. He used to be one of those that uh, believed in the concept of hell. Mm. He's now evolved. They're both college educated, both my kids. We talk about this often. We have great talks. I told him about what I do with humanism. He loves it. He's one of those Christians that are very progressive and liberal. Mm. He thinks we can all get along. But he still believes in Jesus. And Jesus is what puts goodness in humanity. Whatever. But outside of that, we're very similar. But the good news is more and more of these people are coming our way. They're peeking over the fence. We just need more of us to help these people and show them, hey, come over here and look on the other side of the fence. We have some lush green grass over here. Yeah. Just like you guys do, but in the realm of reality. <laughs> Our God glasses are off and hey, reality. You know? <laughs> it's not that different. It's a wonderful life. Uh, that's what I try to portray. Um, people have called me uh, an idealist. Uh, maybe so, but uh, I try to be rational. I want to give this thing a try. I want to try to, to build humanist communities in a way that I know used to work. I still think it does. Uh, these yep. mega churches are packing them out. I talk to these people all the time, and they have everything that humans are looking for. Yep. We can do the same thing minus the crap, the thorns and thistles, and the uh, the dirty bathwater. What is it? The Christopher Histon used to say, uh, "All those dead bodies do get in the way." Yeah, <laughs> I get rid of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, David, um, I, I could talk to you for hours, um, but I think we're going to wrap it up. I urge people to uh, look up David's uh, five YouTube his, show. YouTube, YouTube yeah. show. Okay. Um, I, I get it as a podcast on, oh, okay. on, um, on uh, Spotify. So the, the ACA has obviously uh, made them available in both ways. But if you go onto YouTube channel and look up the Preaching Humanist, you'll get David's channel. Uh, you can follow him on Facebook. He has a Facebook page. He's often posting up there. And um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, David. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I hope to um, work with you uh, on spreading the, the not only the word of humanism, but modeling humanism for others who don't believe and for helping to create that, that other place for humanists to go when they're looking for community, when they're trying to find that, that church replacement. Well, the actor in you is coming out. You did great. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. And uh, this is Chris West West, the Pontificator with When Humanists Attack. Until next time, have a great day. Thank you.